0: morning. It's Thursday, September the 29th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI TV. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, we look ahead to the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. There will be an event going on in Ottawa. Mike Amalus from APTN will tell you about that and talk about some of the broader implications of the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Don Dickinson will have a preview of Voices of the Walrus with an article by Justin Ling about why some Canadians are languishing behind bars for crimes they did not. Nights, Amazon hardware events, some new technology to feast your eyes and ears upon, and Stephen Scott has the inside scoop on that one. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and we've been very much on the climate change beat all week long. Central Florida, Sherry Preston, files this special report.
1: As the sun comes up, people in Florida are looking over the damage caused by now Tropical Storm Ian.
0: Reports of buildings compromised. We have reports of vehicles being just floating out into the ocean. We have a lot of different things that are coming in, but we don't know exactly exactly what it is.
1: Lee County Sheriff Carmine Marcino. Lee County includes Fort Myers and Sanibel Island. ABC's Justin Finch is in Tampa.
0: Ian's wind speeds tied it for the fifth strongest hurricane to strike the U.S. along with several more storms. And this morning, the impact is still being felt. More than 2 million customers across Florida have lost electricity. Now,
1: Overnight at the National Hurricane Center, acting director Jamie Rome said heavy rain and flooding were still a concern.
0: We're actually getting estimates of 4 to 5 inches of rain per hour. That's an astonishing rate likely producing flash flooding as the center sort of crawls across the Florida Peninsula.
1: The storm headed up further north into Georgia and the Carolinas. Sherry Preston, ABC News.
0: And then coming back to Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the damage he's seen in Basque, Newfoundland, is worse than any pictures can show. Hurricane Fiona destroyed over 100 homes. Trudeau explains that supporting residents will come from all levels of government. The Premier uh, announced a $30 million package. The federal government will be part of that. Uh, We're going to continue to step up as necessary. The one thing that we've seen already is the level of strength of community as people have been there to support each other. Uh, The federal government, the provincial government, municipal leadership, uh, we're all going to be working together to make sure that people uh, get settled by winter. 600 military personnel are deployed across Atlantic Canada to assist in the relief effort. Defence Minister Anita Anand says the forces are playing many roles.
2: CAF personnel continue to operate under very challenging circumstances. This includes reserve force personnel, including Canadian rangers, whose own communities have been affected, standing shoulder to shoulder to help their neighbours in need.
0: Veteran Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley is based in Prince Edward Island. He reflected on the scale of damage across the province.
2: I've seen the destruction that Fiona has brought to our homes, warbs and burns, including our own here in the jail. And I want to say thank you to all the wonderful volunteers and first responders and neighbours, helping neighbours. Seeing it makes it easier to bear the damage of this awful storm.
0: In Nova Scotia Power official says over 1,400 workers are in the field as the utility attempts to restore power to thousands of customers still without electricity following the storm. Matt Drover says power line technicians, forestry workers and damage assessors are working around the clock. We are making progress but a storm of this magnitude and uh, damage like this does take time to clean up. We expect the majority of people will be restored by Friday night. There are areas where that have been hit a bit harder than others that may go into the weekend and a few small areas that may go into next week. Canadian contractors specializing in disaster recovery work are being stretched thin. Disaster recovery company CRCD DKI is just finishing emergency repairs following the tornadoes and windstorms in Ontario last spring. The company is sending equipment to Atlantic Canada in the aftermath of Fiona. Co-owner Kyle Douglas says it's not unheard of for crews to be called from one disaster to the next, but it's becoming more common. But we've definitely seen a frequency uptick of of weather events, is what we call them.
3: So there's definitely been a an, a, a change in that pattern. So we see this happening more and
0: more often in our industry so yeah this is something you got to get we got to get our heads around for sure i want to share one more story not related to climate change but international politics before we get to our daily polls it's following up on a story that i shared with you yesterday another leak has been found on the pipelines that transplant the transport gas from russia to germany karen chamis has that story
4: the fourth leak on one of the Nord Stream pipelines has been reported off the coast of southern Sweden, according to Swedish coast guards. All four detected leaks are in international waters, two near Sweden and two near Denmark. The Danish and Swedish governments believe that the leaks off their countries were deliberate actions. Before the leaks were reported, explosions were recorded by seismologists, with one blast being the equivalent to a magnitude 2.3 earthquake. Some European officials are blaming Russia for any possible sabotage, who stands to benefit from higher energy prices. However, many others warn against pointing the finger too soon. I'm Karen Chamas.
0: Let's get to our daily polls. You can find those at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. On Facebook, on Wednesday, we asked you, is there anything stopping you from traveling internationally? 25% of you said costs. 0% of you said accessibility concerns. 50% of you said the pandemic. And 25% of you said nothing at all. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. We're going to be talking several times today about the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, which is tomorrow. And I'm asking you, how will you be marking the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation? Will you be attending a ceremony, talking with survivors, reading reports, or other? Of course, there's lots of other options in between that exist beyond what I've laid out for you. I attended a small ceremony last year in Toronto that was quite powerful. We'll be talking to Michael McNeely a little bit later in the show about filmmaker Elanisa Sabamsuin and her work doing a lot of analysis of the experience of Indigenous children and the education system and a few advocacy movements that have come out of that. So there's certainly content that you consume. We'll be speaking with Mike Omelis of APTN about 35 hours of programming that they'll be doing, including broadcasts of ceremonies. AMITV is going to have some broadcasts of ceremonies as well. So there's lots of ways in which you can participate tomorrow based on your level of comfort. So I am going to try to attend a ceremony again, the one that I went to last year was put on by a friendship center in downtown Toronto and I thought it was quite powerful but the scale was was small and intimate and I, I kind of liked it that way but it's up to you what you want to do so let's first bring in Alex Smythe on this one. Alex, how are you planning to mark the day tomorrow?
5: yeah so you you laid out a few of the different options and I think uh, for me uh, personally I'm probably going to be tuning into some of the great programming that APTN is going to be putting on, that AMI is going to be putting on, that CBC is going to be putting on, because there's always great storytelling, great reporting, and uh, just great experiences that they're going to be able to to share from the perspective of the Indigenous community. In the past, I have been able to have conversations with survivors of residential schools of the Sixties Scoop. And if you ever have that opportunity, I highly recommend it, because It's one thing to be able to read about the experience, but be able to converse with someone who lived through those horrors, those traumas, and kind of talk to them and hear what happened and and how they felt in their experience. It's unlike anything else. And it really helps shape that conversation and really highlights the need to have not only a day for truth and reconciliation, but... A greater understanding of the Indigenous experience and the treatment of the Indigenous peoples within this country. So um, I certainly suggest anyone, if you ever have that opportunity, to speak to survivors, mm-hmm. definitely take advantage of it, because it you may have a preconceived notion of what that experience may be like or, or an understanding, but it's something different to look
0: into the eyes of someone who's gone through that and, and hear their story firsthand. Yeah, for someone to, to be able to uh, trust you with their vulnerability and, and share such difficult stories, there's, there's no replicating the kind of empathy that can come from hearing such an interpersonal story and having that kind of interpersonal communication. Let's pivot over to Eliza Rocco. What are you planning to do tomorrow to mark the day?
1: Um, I'm going to be uh, hopefully doing a couple of different things. There is a large ceremony at Nathan Phillips Square. Um, it is called the Indigenous Legacy Gathering. There's going to be a lot of storytelling, um, ceremonies, dancing, singing, a lot of celebrating of Indigenous culture. So I really want to check that out. As well as I'm going to be watching some documentaries, some movies. Um, CBC Gem has a really, really great collection of Indigenous stories that I hope to check out.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a no shortage of content to consume tomorrow. You mentioned CBC Gem. Uh, again, we'll be talking about Alani Sabamsawin a little bit later in the show. A lot of her work can be found at nfb.ca as part of the National Film Board's archives. So there's no shortage of uh, stories to be heard through uh, through media as well. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts on that one. I want to hear from you at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook is where you can vote on the poll. And we'll be talking to Mike Amalis of APTN in the next segment. But for now, let's head back to Alex Smythe. He has the national weather updates.
5: Here is your national weather report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, it's scattered showers this morning, then becoming cloudy with a high of 18. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly cloudy and clearing up this afternoon for a high of 19. Now, the sunshine that we were experiencing in the west uh, end of the country is now making its way over to Montreal, Quebec, which is now mainly sunny and a high of 15. Ottawa, Ontario, it's cloudy this morning, but it's clearing up for sunshine this afternoon with a high of 14. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly sunny and a high of 15. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, they're experiencing the sunshine as well with 16 being the high. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, you guessed it, it's sunny but with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 21. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later in the day with a high of 26. In Calgary, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with chances of showers this morning and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of 23. Up in Edmonton, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds, becoming cloudy and possible rain this afternoon with 22 as the high. Up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it's mainly sunny, but the high is low at 8. In Vancouver, B.C., it's mainly cloudy, but clearing up near noon, and the high is 18. And finally, in Victoria, B.C., it's mainly sunny, with 17 being the high. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, we will continue our conversation on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We'll speak with Mike Omelis from APTN about an event that they'll be broadcasting live from Ottawa, as well as a number of other programs that you'll find throughout the day. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Tomorrow is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation across Canada. The day remembers survivors of the residential school system, the children who never returned home, their families, and their communities. APTN will be hosting a gathering tomorrow in Ottawa to commemorate the day. Mike Omelis is the Executive Director of Content and Strategy at APTN and joins me now to tell you a little bit more about it. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thank you for making time.
6: Dave, it is a pleasure to see you in person. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Mike, I want to
0: start with the individual event that is going on tomorrow in Ottawa. What are the plans? What's going to be happening at that commemorative event?
6: Well, it is the national commemorative event for the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. It is a um, gathering of survivors And uh, there will be performances from uh, artists that are themed towards uh, reconciliation. There will be uh, speeches and reflections uh, from residential school survivors. The governor general, Mary Simon, will be there. The prime minister and a number of other VIPs will be there. And it's just basically to remind the country what this day is all about and uh, why it was created as a federal statutory holiday last year uh, on September 30th. Mike, the reason why I started with that individual
0: event is because that's one that people are going to have access to across the country via APTN. So where can they get access to participate in that event if that's if that's what they choose to do tomorrow? Well if,
6: if they're in the Ottawa area, um, they're welcome to go to La Breton Flats Park there. We're anticipating fifteen to twenty thousand people. Uh, It begins with a march from Parliament Hill, a spirit walk, a reconciliation walk from Parliament Hill to uh, the the Le Breton Flats Park. But um, most people aren't in Ottawa, and uh, there's a a large number of broadcasters, radio, television, print uh, that will be streaming the broadcast and providing it uh, for viewers, including uh, AMI. And uh, APTN is pleased to to partner uh, with uh, AMI on this event. Uh, CBC will be there Uh, Adrian Arsenault, I understand, is going to be um, in the park providing two hours of coverage. And uh, we want to make this distributed as widely as possible in hopes of of touching people and, and causing them to reflect on the day and what it's all about.
0: It's not simply going to be that singular event that APTN is going to be broadcasting, though. There's 35 hours of programming that are going to be on offer. What kind of other stories and other programming are going to be available for people if they want to consume it at home?
6: Well, we decided to um, basically start um, with with uh, 35 hours of coverage this evening uh, in prime time. There was just, frankly, too many good programs. Um, that were that were involved uh, uh, with the reconciliation theme. And so we're going right through till 6 a.m. on Saturday morning, the end of the broadcast day, 35 hours of coverage, including the broadcast. Uh, there's a, a Buffy St. Marie concert. It took place at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa on the 16th of September. And we've packaged that uh, with our partners at CBC into a, a 90-minute special, which is... It gives me goosebumps just just to think about that. There are um, there's a there's a movie that I saw again for the third time on HBO not too long ago, One Day in the Life of Noah Piugtuk, who is an Inuit uh, leader uh, on the ice floe. uh, And and uh, he was leading a, a hunting party met by an Indian agent who said, your community has to move. Uh, so there's 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 all sorts of programming that causes, uh, hopefully, people to reflect on, um, you know, what happened uh, to Indigenous communities uh, through the residential school system that was established by uh, church organizations as well as the government, and and uh, the consequences of of those decisions and, and how they've uh, impacted uh, generation upon generation of Indigenous peoples. Mike, this is the second official
0: day for national truth and reconciliation since the federal government declared that the case last year but you're currently wearing an orange hoodie and an orange shirt orange shirt day has been around for years i'm curious about the formalization of the day what it has meant both last year and this year to have people more formally reflecting on the indigenous experience and the residential school experience in canada
6: well, Orange Shirt Day originated in 2013, and it was started by a woman um, named Phyllis um, uh, Webstand. And she was a six-year-old girl when she first entered residential school in Williams Lake, British Columbia. And she, to her first day, wore a bright, brand-new orange shirt. And when she arrived at school, she was stripped of the shirt, which is symbolic of of, of the treatment of, of uh, residential school um, survivors and what happened in in those schools. Uh, that happened in 2013. Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, in its final report and calls to action in 2015, um, recommended a federal uh, federal statutory holiday be created to uh, mark the national day for truth and reconciliation. And the government got around to proclaiming it last June. And the first day was um, last September 30th. So this is the second annual National Day for Truth and Reconciliation tomorrow. What does it mean to communities? Certainly
0: the reflection is not limited to one day. The experience is, is captured through generational trauma. But what does it mean to take an individual day to focus that reflection
6: well certainly uh, indigenous communities and families have been traumatized uh many of them uh, by the residential school system for decades upon decades so they're fully aware of what transpired but i think it brings the entire country um you know into the conversation uh and and causes hopefully just some reflection deepening of understanding and and um and perhaps, uh, you know, more education about the educa- educational uh, system, the residential school system. And, and uh, you know, there's a, a quote from uh, the, the former senator who headed up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the Honorable Murray Sinclair. He said, education got us into this mess and education will get us out of it. And so that's partly, I think, what, what the day is about tomorrow. And hopefully people will reflect. I want to come back to
0: the notion of participation because certainly there's going to be programming on IPTN, as you mentioned. The CBC is going to be picking up that broadcast. MITV is going to have that broadcast as well. But if you were to be sending a message to people who want to participate tomorrow, how would you encourage them to do so? And maybe even more broadly to be cognizant of of the movement of reconciliation and what they should be contemplating and considering as part of their participation.
6: Well, Dave, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of events being um, held tomorrow in communities big and small. There's actually a big event today at uh, Mosaic uh, Stadium in Regina uh, being um, put together in part by the Cowess's First Nation. Uh, I, I, so so there are a number of different ways and places and events at which people can participate. But I think uh, it doesn't have to be uh, a formal gathering uh, with, with others. If people would just reflect on what happened, maybe go to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission website, or the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation website. There's a wealth of documents. Just read some of the reports and and um, just help deepen understanding. And and it's when we understand uh, what's happened, what's transpired, that 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 can bring people together uh, and and uh, further conversation. It's when we don't want to um, open our eyes and and, and ears. Uh, and listen uh, that that uh, you know conversation dialogue just shuts down. So just just uh, that would be my wish, um, and that's what I have been doing and will be doing. Just reflecting upon the history, and I think that that uh, makes me a little bit more uh, compassionate, open minded, and and uh, hopefully understanding. And and I think that should be um, the goal of of, uh, of listeners uh, if they're able to. Mike, thank you for taking the time for us today. And thank you to you
0: and your colleagues for all the work that you do. I know you're about to travel, so safe travels. And I hope the uh, ceremony, uh, the commemoration tomorrow um, is, is healing in some way and, and offers some solace to those who are there. So thank you for making time for us today. Those are
6: very kind words uh, on which to end this um, uh, conversation, Dave. And I thank AMI and you for your participation and, and uh, support as well. Great to be here. That is
0: Mike Omelus. He is the Executive Director of Content and Strategy at APTN. And be sure to catch APTN's broadcast tomorrow live at Le Breton Flats in Ottawa from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also tune in on AMI-TV at that time. Or if you miss it, you can also stream it on APTN's streaming service, Lumi. Coming up after the break, Don Dickinson will preview Voices of the Walrus with an article by Justin Ling about why some Canadians continue to languish behind bars for crimes they did not commit. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes.
7: Canada's main stock index snapped a six-day losing streak yesterday and joined all U.S. markets with gains of about 2%. On speculation, central banks may ease up on restrictive inflation-fighting policies. Toronto's TSX index gained 341 points to 18,648. New York's Dow Jones average climbed 548 points and the Nasdaq added 222. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index rose 248 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning a little lower at 72.84 cents US. And the Canada Revenue Agency is extending tax deadlines in Atlantic Canada and Ile de la Madeleine, Quebec. This to help people, businesses and charities affected by post-tropical storm Fiona. The due date for corporate tax returns, trust income tax returns and GST and HST returns is being extended by one month to October 31st. The CRA says there will be no penalty or interest for filings after the regular deadline of tomorrow. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. One of the themes that I think you'll pick up on today is a lot of gratitude for colleagues who work either within this company or across the industry. So let's bring in another colleague who does phenomenal work on the AMI-audio side of the AMI family. Voices of the Walrus airs Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Don Dickinson is the producer of that program. And as a preview of a couple of this week's articles, hey, good morning, Don. That's very gracious of you, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> well, Don, t- today's, I think, a perfect example. We just spoke to Mike Omelas of APTN. Him and his colleagues do phenomenal work at that TV station. We're talking to you. We'll be talking to Stephen Scott of Double Tap Daily later in the show. Just so many people do so much work that we're just happy that we get to talk about just a sliver of the incredible work that you do. So let's jump in to the first article, a really interesting one by J.R. Patterson yeah. called Seed of Mistrust. It took a look at half a million dollars that went missing from a rural Manitoba municipality. Give me the overview of this story and the criminal activity that occurred.
1: Well, so sad. Uh, When city staff in Westlake Gladstone, a rural municipality in southwestern Manitoba, returned to work in January 2020, after the Christmas break, they discovered $500,000 missing from local coffers. The money had been siphoned off in an alleged cyber attack over the final weeks of December and the early days of January. Behind the scenes was a flurry of phone calls and meetings with lawyers and cybercrime experts, but the outward appearance was one of normality. Terrible, terrible thing to happen to a small community.
0: Yeah, half a million dollars going from a small community's coffers is a lot, a lot of money with a huge impact. So how was the town informed of what happened? Like the town itself, not the officials, but the people of the town.
1: Yeah, so um, nine months went by. For nine months that... Yeah, well, okay, there's two sides to the story. Uh, For nine months, the municipality held back information from residents who knew nothing of the incident, not a peep. Then one afternoon in October 2020, Mayor Scott uh, Kinley and Chief Administrative Officer Coralie Smith held a small pro- press conference to a crowd of onlookers, and of course, these are mostly rural farm far- farmers. Uh, in a boardroom in the municipality's offices, Kinley read out a prepared statement revealing the loss of the money, which he said had been removed in 47 electronic withdrawals of nearly $10,000 each. The total was not insignificant by any means. The municipality's annual budget hovers around seven million. Half a million dollars is, for instance, roughly the price of a new road grader of which the municipality was in desperate need of. Mm -hmm. So they were told nine months later. um, The other side of the story is that, of course, those, those people... On the council, we're trying desperately. Obviously, imagine the shock they had. Oh, of course, yeah. To to try to find the money, they employed uh, certain people, cyber experts and whatnot. But this is by no means, Dave, uh, the exception. A lot, you know, you hear about the huge accounts, uh, you know, the ransom accounts and things like that with major, you know, mega companies and whatnot. But there's an awful lot of this cyber crime going on with uh, with smaller accounts too.
0: The nine-month the nine month delay, Don, I can see where that would relate to the title of this article, though, which is Seed of Mistrust. Mistrust. Because, because it's not to imply that necessarily the city officials were involved in some kind of corruption, nor were they involved necessarily in some kind of cover-up while they were doing the investigation, but it's a reminder about the importance of transparency when it comes to yes. public funds. That just generally speaking keeping people in the dark is always a bad idea. It's always a poor idea from a public official. So what was the response of the public, and how has that impacted the relationship with the city government?
1: Well... It wasn't good, Dave. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) Uh, For months after the announcement of the missing uh, money, wild theories, of course, uh, went around the townsfolk. Thieves were, uh, that there were thieves that were disgruntled municipality workers or corrupt elected officials or councillors, or it was a con man. Uh, People offered evidence, both true and uh, false, uh, about theories that they had. And of course, As you say, when there's a vacuum of information, uh, you know, these wild theories just spread like wildfire. Uh, There was no sign of the money being returned and answers from the municipal council weren't easily forthcoming. So to your point about the, the title of the article being Seeds of Mistrust... What happens is is that if people are not transparent, and I say this sitting on two boards, I, I am a director on two boards within Toronto, one of which is a a, a condo board, and mm-hmm. also one uh, uh, one is um, a a um, charity board for mm-hmm. for a school, and uh, you have to be you ha- no matter the the no matter the 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 negativity of whatever it is as soon as you've kind of got your facts i mean it's it's not good to announce things without facts i mean that i agree with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you you have to get your your ducks in a row that's for sure but then you have to you have to let people know
0: Well, especially because if there's trickles or leaks as well, right, that that's that that becomes the thing. If a few people who weren't necessarily supposed to know that information, find out that information, all of a sudden the gossip starts and all of a sudden it starts taking away and chipping away at the credibility of the people on the board. I've also sat on a few charity boards uh, over my life, Don, and there was one in particular where the where the where the actual charity was in dire, dire dire financial straits and they were asking me as a member of a media organization should we talk about this and I said absolutely you have to tell people that you're in dire straits if you want something to happen because if you just end up folding up tomorrow or end up going bankrupt and putting up putting up a, a board on the door on Thursday then then people are going to think that maybe something more nefarious went on rather than getting ahead of it sitting down, sending out a press release, talking to people, being up front. And in the end, that charity is still alive and kicking today because of that moment of honesty.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Dave. I couldn't agree with you more. You have to be forthcoming. You have to present the facts. You have to be completely unemotional about it. Um, You know, a lot of these cyber attacks, well... I mean, the majority of these cyber attacks have absolutely nothing—nothing—to do with the people who are serving on the boards or their treasurers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not a criminal thing. It's not a corruption thing. It's basically the, the the this digital society that we live in, and how easily it's it's getting, uh, you know, to 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 do this kind of criminal activity hmm
0: Don, let's jump to a different article by, really, in my mind, one of the best journalists in the whole country. His name's Justin Ling. He wrote an article called False Convictions, exploring why Canadians are languishing behind bars for a crime they did not commit. So, Don, I'm going to start with a, a very easy question to answer. <laughs> Does Canada's justice system have a habit of putting people behind bars for crimes they did not commit?
1: Okay, well, let me preface this by saying we're not as bad as the states. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's like that's like the Canadian mantra, well, we're
0: not as bad as America.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but Canada's justice system does have a bit of a habit of putting people behind bars for crime that they did not commit. We know about the high-profile cases, um, you know, the the, the really high-profile cases like the David Milgaards and things like that. Um, but there are many actually that fly under the radar of media coverage. It's no surprise that some of the strong advocates of judicial, judicial, reform have been the wrongfully convicted themselves. Uh, David Milgard spent 23 years, as we know, in prison for the rape and murder that he did not commit. And even though his conviction was squashed in 1992, he was not formally exonerated until 1997 when he received an official apology from the Saskatchewan government. Two years later, he also received $10 million in compensation for his time in jail. But obviously, he... Um, has been very uh, um, very aware of what has happened to him and mm-hmm. what is happening in the courts. And over the time that uh, he, he's in, been involved, he's also uh, um, tried to um, bring this uh, issue to the light with mm-hmm. the media.
0: Yeah, when, when he passed away last year, we shared a lot of audio on the show of people reflecting on the impact that he's had in the justice system to bring this issue into a greater sense of awareness even still, the the issue systemically persists. So why are yes. overturning wrongful convictions? Why is it so difficult?
1: Well, um, issues at the root of this problem, this as you say, systemic and broad and problem, are um, individual prosecutors and cops can't cope. Um, can't, sorry, can't hope to com- uh, completely fix this and why people languish in prison because of eyewitness errors, uh, false confessions, jailhouse informants, or faulty forensics. Uh, but a flawed justice system putting innocent people in jail is only one part of the problem. The other is the overturning uh, those mistaken convictions is nearly impossible. Those incarcerated who believe their cases haven't been uh, just uh, judged fairly often lack the resource and support while facing massive bureaucra- bureaucratic hurdles. And of course that makes sense, right? They're, they're probably in the, the, the courts or the, the, the jail system because of the fact that they were not necessarily um, the most affluent of people and that they had uh, you know problems um, with, let's say poverty or minor crime to begin with. And then they were indicted for a more major crime mm-hmm. and they of course were innocent.
0: So, Don, we know the issue persists. What is the government doing to try and exonerate the innocent?
1: Well, after Justin Trudeau won his re-election um, in uh, 2019, he instructed Justice Minister David Lametti to make it easier. This is a quote: "Make it easier and faster for potentially wrongful convicted p- peoples to have their applications reviewed." End quote. Almost three years on, all the Trudeau government unfortunately has managed to do is pr- pr- produce an extensive report. This one, released in 2021. Um, uh, prepared by Harry LaFontaine, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Harry, a um, uh, correction, LaForme, the first Indigenous judge of an appeals court in Canada. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, the report has been done. Uh, they spoke to 200 people. Uh, these people were exonerees, plus crime victims, plus police officers, uh, prosecutors, defense lawyers, legal aid officials, judges, and forensic scientists. And they did uh, quite an extensive report, but their report provides the most comprehensive language yet on the devastating and life-altering harms of these wrongful dismissals and on the dire need for independent commission so that we can uh, reverse some of these convictions.
0: Don, sometimes when you are legally blind, you end up having brushes with fame that you don't even realize. I was at a wedding in 2018, and I had a beer with someone named, an older gentleman named David, and we hung out and we chatted, we laughed, and then we went our own separate ways. I later found out that I was having a beer with the justice minister at a wedding and I didn't even know no. it because I'm so legally blind.
1: Oh my God, Dave. Wow, that is some kind
0: of story. What can I say? I'm a power broker, Don, through and through. Uh, Don, all the best to you. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week, right? We're talking to you next week, yeah, are we? Yeah, yeah great, awesome. Abso- yeah, uh, I, ca- I can't yeah. keep track with all the state holidays. I know Dawn. It's, it's because of
1: the holiday with the indigenous. Yeah, I know it's difficult. Everybody's having a bit of a problem with that, but yeah. no, we'll next week's for sure.
0: Excellent, Don. We'll talk to you then. Okay. that's Don Dickinson, producer of the reading program Voices of the Walrus, which you can find Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we'll turn our attention again to the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation when Michael McNeely highlights filmmaker Alanis Abamsawin. But first, Google is aiming to make visuals more prominent in your searches. Here's Chuck Sievertson
8: with Tech Trends. The world's biggest search engine announcing some new features Wednesday with an emphasis on the visuals. Now Google searches will present pictures more prominently and sometimes videos from online creators, too. You can also search for things using text prompts and photos at the same time, a feature the company calls multi-search. There's some environment-focused updates as well. Google's Hema Budaraju says electric vehicle shoppers now get more data.
1: Electric vehicle shoppers will see helpful features like how much it costs to drive on electric electricity and nearby charging stations
8: and for foodies some recipes on google now come with information about the dish's carbon footprint for
1: example how does chicken compare to fish or how do eggs compare to tofu so you'll be able to see information panels that encourage sustainable food choices and explain the relationship between food and climate change
8: with tech trends chuck severson abc news
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's continue our conversation ahead of tomorrow's National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and reflect on some documentaries that highlight the Indigenous perspective and Indigenous voices. Joining us now to explore that is Michael McNeely in Kingston, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. So, we... I'm well. So, Michael, today you wanted to highlight some works from filmmaker Alanis Abomsouin. Who is she and why is she important in Canadian cinema? I think she's extremely
2: important because I hope that she will outlive the Queen. But I didn't say that out loud. Um, she's an Abenaki American Canadian filmmaker. She's a cinema artist and archivist and as well as an activist. Um, she's primarily known for her documentary on the OKA crisis. And she's, she's made over 50 documentaries, mostly with the National Film Board. Um, and, like I said, she's 90 years old, so I'm hoping she can outlive the Queen and Betty White, just so that we have some talented in her corner for outliving
0: people. Over the course of this week, you watched three movies that were directed by Alanis Obomsuwin. Before we get into some of them individually, what was the theme that you drew out of them? Well,
2: Alanis really cares about children. She especially cares about the plight of indigenous children who live in reserves. Um, and as we will talk more about in this segment... Reserves are funded differently than the rest of Canada. Reserves are funded by the federal government, while the rest of Canada's children's services and education are funded by the provinces. So what Alanis is noticing is that there's a discrepancy. And as a result, children on reserves get less support than the non-native or non-living on reserve neighbors do. So it's um it's very interesting to watch her engage and to interact with children. In one of the documentaries, she speaks with a child and learns that the child is dropping out of school at grade 7. And she quickly um, stops being objective. She stops being the person behind the camera. And she tells that child, please go back to school. Please finish your schooling. And so that kind of made me fall in love with Alanis a little bit more because I know that she she really loves children.
0: Let's talk about some of these individual documentaries. And we can't make the same mistake twice. Alanis condenses a nearly 80-day hearing at the Canadian Rights Commission between First Nations Child and Family Caring Services and the Assembly of First Nations against the government of Canada. Why did this court battle happen? So, just as I mentioned before, there's a discrepancy
2: between the, um, the funding available, and this, this film focuses on the Child Protective Services. And so what was happening at this time was that there was so little funding on reserves for Child Protective Services that those societies that you mentioned, the Child and Family Caring Society, as well as the um, First Nations Assembly, they, they sued the Canadian government for discrimination because they did not have access to the same amount of funding that child protective services would have had in the provinces. So that meant, for example, um, if, if there was a family of seven children that you had concerns about their father or their mother being abusive, they simply didn't have enough services to address the situation under reserves, and those children would most likely be placed in foster care and would lose their cultural identity.
0: A key visual in this documentary is a teddy bear that sat on the table of the lawyers for the children's advocates. Why was that teddy bear such a powerful piece of imagery?
2: Because if you think
0: about it, every child has a teddy bear in their lives, did you have a teddy bear, Dave? I did, yes. I had a teddy, well, I had a, I had a stuffed dog. Yes, so did I,
2: too. Um, and so I guess one of the statements made in the film is when your child is placed in foster care, when your child is taken away by the state due to a lack of resources, they, they don't get to bring their teddy bear from home. They're left alone. They're isolated. They, they don't know where to go, they feel unsafe, they feel uncertain about their future, and they have no control over where they're going. They, they can't choose the foster family that they're going to be placed with, and they may never see their parents again. So the, the teddy bear is meant to try and give some support to those children. It's also, you know, like a mascot for the family here in society, but putting the teddy bear on the desk it's, it's just not end of it, but it know that you're there for the children.
0: Let's turn to a different documentary called Hi Ho, Mr. Hay. This film introduced you to a national campaign called Shannon's Dream. Who is Shannon and what was the campaign about? So Shannon Custachan,
2: she lived in Ontario. I think she lived on the Catawarpist Cat Reserve um, and there... There was a, uh, as we're mentioning, again, due to the disruptions of funding, but this time for education, there was a school that was in very bad shape. The school was mostly just portables, um, and the children were freezing and often, you know, had to track in snow from outside with their boots, and, and uh, everything would be wet, and... Um, those were the kinds of situations that they faced in the school, and many, many children dropped out. So, in grade 9, you probably started with about 200 children. By grade 12, there was probably 20 children left, due to the dysfunction found in the, in, on the reserve. So, Shannon's dream was simply to um, to, to fight for equality in education, and to ensure that the resources were shared equitably among everyone. Unfortunately, she passed um, because she got into a car accident, so her dream still lives on with us. And um, from her home, Mr. Hay, the the children, both Native and non-Native children, they go to Geneva in order to advocate for more rights and to live Shannon's street.
0: Another documentary by Elanis Obamsuwin was called Our People Will Be Healed, that also put an importance on the education for Indigenous children. What do you think Elanis did as a filmmaker that really helped convey these messages so clearly? She gets down on a children's level and she talks to them. That equals. Uh,
2: she's not afraid to talk to children. She's not afraid to ask them what they think about various situations. And in fact, I think she's proven to me and other viewers that children know a lot about what's going on around them. So in Hi Ho, Mr. Hay and Our People Will Be Healed, she features children as activists and shows that they have a voice. And you can see the
0: pictures of the children if you're able. Those children are the ones that she speaks with. Michael, any final thoughts on the films and their director, Eleni Sabamsuin? So all those films were made in the 10s, um,
2: 2015, 2016. So it's possible that some things have been updated, but most likely there's still a lot of struggle and a lot of discrepancy with limited resources. I know that there's many reserves that no don't necessarily have access to clean drinking water, as well as... Um, issues with regards to education and opportunity so i think she would still be making films on these topics and i really hope that she continues
0: challenging us so i hope we can all keep those in mind for tomorrow michael thank you for making time for us today with your reflection on these films Uh, we really appreciate it have a nice day you too thank you very much that is Michael McNeely with a reflection on three documentaries by filmmaker Alanis Abamsuin. You can learn more about her work at the National Film Board's website, nfb.ca. nfb.ca is where you can learn more about her work. Of course, we are looking ahead tomorrow to the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We were just speaking with Mike Omalus earlier this hour about the broadcast that you can find on AMI-tv. If you're watching us on AMI-tv right now, you can find that broadcast at 1 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow with a commemoration ceremony at Le Breton Flats in Ottawa. APTN, if you want to go over to that station, if you are indeed watching us on AMI-tv, is going to have 35 hours of programming that begins this evening and will stretch all the way into Saturday. As Mike also mentioned, there are smaller ceremonies and large ceremonies taking a place all across the country there's the big one tonight in Saskatchewan at Mosaic Field there's going to be a number all over the greater Toronto area I know I'm planning to go to an event at Girard a park on Girard in Cabbage Town tomorrow next to an Indigenous Friendship Centre which uh, is a little more a little more intimate which um, it's a little more my scene in terms of my comfort zone Either way, there are a number of ways that you can participate and that does relate to our daily poll question, which you can find at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, where we're asking how you're planning to mark the day tomorrow, whether it be talking to survivors, attending events, uh, reading reports, consuming content, other, please feel free to uh, vote on that poll and also tell us specifically what you're doing in the comments section as well. It's an opportunity to platform some of the events and resources that are going to be available all across the country. And again, if you want to learn more about some of these experiences and some of the film work by Alanis Obamsuin, nfb.ca is part of the National Film Board's website where there's a whole bunch of content, including entire films. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. Beginning in the world of economy, Statistics Canada is out with GDP growth numbers for July this morning. The economy grew at 0.1% in July. 0.1% was the growth. We'll get a little bit more of analysis on that one as the day moves along. But the top line number is small economic growth in the month of July at 0.1%. Let's uh, pivot to a really interesting story in relation to inflation. There's been an internal government analysis about whether or not cryptocurrencies provide protection against inflation. Karen Rebo has the details.
7: The Canadian press through the Access to Information Act has obtained a briefing note on the matter that was prepared in May for the head of the public service. The memo says cryptocurrencies have not provided protection against inflation and serve as poor substitutes to the Canadian dollar for day-to-day transactions. It was in late March. Poiliev had said during a campaign stop that cryptocurrencies could allow Canadians to opt out of inflation. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has called Poiliev's comments irresponsible. He said Canadians who listened to Poliev's advice would have seen their savings decimated after this year's crash in cryptocurrency values. Karen Rebo, the Canadian
0: Press. As I'm sure you've put together, if you're a regular viewer of this show, I am no crypto bro. There's no doubt about that. I am not necessarily a big advocate for cryptocurrencies. I will say this, though. I find it extremely unsurprising that a systemic government analysis of something that runs outside of the government, uh, let's call it field or level of sight, level of oversight, would be deemed as unsafe. I, I, again, not a crypto bro over here, not encouraging you to go out and run out and buy some Bitcoin, but I find this unsurprising. I always say, consider the source of the people who are giving you analysis. Coming up after the break, we'll have the regional news update and Brock Richardson will be here for a sports chat. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. It's the Thursday, September 29th, 2022 edition of the show. I'm Dave Brown coming to you live from mighty AMI headquarters in North York, Ontario. Otherwise known as Toronto. It's preposterous, man. It's Ontario business. Neighborhoods every two blocks and change the names of your cities like every four. It's preposterous. Get on board with the rest of us. Be like Quebec. It's Montreal. Yeah, yeah, you got neighborhoods and whatnot, but it's Montreal, mega city. Let's roll. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Stephen Scott shares a recap of last night's Amazon hardware event. Got some new stuff to talk about. And when there's new stuff, Stephen always likes to talk about it. And Karen McGee will wrap up the show and our broadcast week. The hour with the regional news updates. An Indigenous man and his granddaughter have reached an agreement with the Vancouver, British Columbia Police Board to settle a human rights complaint stemming from their handcuffing after they tried to open a bank account in 2019. Maxwell Johnson says he is pleased with the settlement, ending a three-year legal action against the police board, but he says his family is still in a healing process.
2: One of the things I keep seeing is my daughter, my granddaughter standing on that street... Crying while she's being handcuffed. I don't think any parent or grandparents should ever see that in their lifetime. She must have been about 20, 30 feet away from me and all I could do was just stand there and not do nothing.
0: As part of the settlement, the police board will be holding an apology ceremony in Bella Bella on October the 24th. Over to the prairies. The Office of Alberta's Child and Youth Advocate has released a report into the deaths of 15 youths in government care. Advocate Terry Pelton says that accessible mental health services and resources are crucial to vulnerable youth in care.
3: Where there is mental health services, they're not always available for these particular young people, where they have to meet some, some kind of criteria to get admitted. It, it really is something that needs to be focused on is youth mental health and access to that resource and again it's that limited window when they're asking for it we need to meet young people where they're at when they're there
0: the advocacy advocacy group suggests that ministries need to collaborate with community based partners and alberta health services to expand their resources and address the complex needs of youth in government care over to ontario where the province is asking to extend the life of the Pickering Nuclear Generating Station by one year. Laurie Paris has the details.
3: Sources with knowledge of the plan who are not authorized to speak publicly say the government is also weighing a refurbishment that could see Pickering in service for several more decades, ahead of a looming electricity supply crunch. The nuclear plant, which accounted for 14% of electricity generation in the province last year, had been set to shut down in 2025. But the government is now asking Ontario Power Generation to keep the plant going until September 2026, a plan that would still need approval from the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. It has also asked OPG to examine whether Pickering is worth refurbishing, a process that can see a plant produce power for another 30 years. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press, Toronto.
0: And let's finish in Atlantic Canada, where residents of southwestern Newfoundland are awaiting information about whether insurance will cover their losses. Premier Andrew Fury says the province is aware of 75 displaced households in port basque and more than a dozen in surrounding communities. Through a relief program, the government says $1,000 will be available for every household whose members were temporarily evacuated but are able to return home by tomorrow, September the 30th. Displaced households whose members cannot return by that date are eligible for $10,000. That's your look at the regional news. Let's turn our attention to the world of sports and we'll chat with Brock Richardson. Brock, I'm going to do a little switcheroo on you here. You wanted to start by talking about the football game tonight between the Dolphins and the Bengals. Let's actually start talking by talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs because there's not enough conversation in Canadian sports media about the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you are an intrepid yeah, right. sports reporter. You're a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And there are there's some news that just broke this morning. Uh, Ra- I'm going to get the name wrong. Rasmus Sandin, is that the defenseman? Yep, you got it. Just signed a two-year deal. Uh, was, uh, for two years, one point four million dollars a year is the annual average value there. But it's not just the signing that has Leafs fans a little bit uh, rambling and burbling this morning and over the last few days. There are some really significant injuries that have already hit this team before the season's even started.
4: Yes, um, I like the Rasmus Sandin signing. I, I I think he can be a helpful piece. On defense, he's young. Leafs fans, he's going to make his mistakes. Newsflash. But as far as the injuries, um, we've got John Tavares, who will be out for three weeks of the season due to an oblique injury. This on top of the fact that Timothy Lilligren has missed all of training camp due to an undisclosed injury. And Dave, I have here that... um, Sheldon Keefe uses what I like to call coaches speak. (laughs) He comes to the media and he says, listen, it's time for guys to step up and do their job. And basically halfway through, I heard wah, 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 because (laughs) literally, literally it's just coaches speak, Dave. This is exactly what they always say. And it's like, yeah, whatever. I I am not a fan of the uh, goaltending Uh, tandem between Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. Management must be drinking the same Kool-Aid that Leaf Nation has been drinking for 50-plus years. I don't see it, but we'll see.
0: Wow. Wow. A preemptive burying of the Leafs. Brock, you're a fan. You're supposed to think this is your year every year. That's that's how this is supposed to go. Brock, as we get closer to the start of the NHL season, I think what we'll end up doing is a couple of very specific previews of all of the Canadian teams. But give me your general vibe on the Leafs. You just mentioned that the goaltending situation is a concern. I would 100% echo that with you. Although I really like Ilya Samsonov as sort of your second goalie, not crazy, but Matt Murray's your starting goalie. That's a uh, that's a fish that's buried to water for a little while. And Dave, that's the problem. It's not is
4: Samsonov's fault, but when I can't turn and look and go, that's my number one guy, it's like, mm, this makes me uncomfortable. And usually you can turn and go, there's your number one guy in all goaltending situations. But in this case, it's like, this just doesn't feel good to me. Mm. And, you know, I just I just feel like Sheld- uh, Sheldon Keefe and and, and management um, and GM, they're all looking at let's get some of the junior guys we've been a part of. Those guys are old now. Like, <laughs> let, let's change up the way we do things. So if you all thought that I was going to come in here and drink the same Kool-Aid, I'm sorry, I'm not. I just it just I'm not there on the Leafs. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Do I think we're going to have to wait another year for a Stanley Cup? One hundred percent. Or you know,
0: or maybe wait two years for Austin Matthews to go sign somewhere else in free agency. Not to not to trigger Leafs fans on that one so early in the morning. I, I'm not I'm not going to yeah. hit you with that, Brock. To me, what's always been weird about the Toronto Maple Leafs is a couple of years ago they were a good news story, young team, young core on the up and up. And I think it really turned when they spent all that money on Jonathan Tavares. Not to say that a team should outright reject bringing in a 40-goal scorer onto their roster. There's no doubt that makes you a better team. The problem is it really discombobulated the whole operation of the team build and created a lot of imbalance financially within the team. And now it seems every summer, instead of trying to find good, young, valuable players to fill in the third, fourth line, the fourth, fifth, and sixth defensemen, it seems like they're really relying on some aging veterans who certainly provide experience, but maybe don't represent what's necessary to play a modern brand of hockey.
4: Yeah, it's it's totally true. And, you know, the thing is is that people are buying into this whole like, oh, we won the offseason, and that's the first thing I can think of when I think of the signing of John Tavares. It's like we didn't win anything when we signed John Tavares long-term, and that's what people thought. It's like, oh, because we signed him, that's it. We're done.
0: Yeah, team building is team building is not easy. Believe me, I I totally understand. We we spent some time this summer praising the Colorado Avalanche and their rebuild, what people don't realize is that rebuild started in 2009. You know, it took them 13 years to eventually get to the point where they could win a Stanley Cup. So sometimes these things are not quite as linear as we hope.
4: Absolutely. And I think, you know, for all Canadian teams, we all hope that listen, we're going to get there and and again, I've seen early prognostication that says the Leafs are going to be the the best chance for Canadians to win the cup but that doesn't mean anything. There's still, you know, <laughs> teams that are not in Canada. We're not playing the Canadian division yeah. anymore. This is like, let's get over ourselves, Leaf Nation. You wow, know, like, I like it. Come on.
0: I love know? I love this, Brock Richardson. I love this angle of just burying these Leafs fans. Way to go. I love it. We're, I'm feeling the vibe here. I'm feeling the vibe deep down in my heart. Uh, speaking of my heart, Brock, I am ready for my heart to be broken tonight when the Miami Dolphins visit the Cincinnati Bengals for a Thursday night football game, which folks can find on TSN and CTV2 or south of the border on Amazon. I uh, don't think this is going to go well for my Miami Dolphins, Brock. On a short week on the road, after about half the team had heat stroke on Sunday, the quarterback, Tua Tunga Vialoa, dealing with uh, a quote, back injury. Uh, I put up the quote marks there. I put up the air quotes because, um, it looked more like a concussion to me, if I to my doc to my doctor's <laughs> eyes. Um but this Miami Dolphins team is all beat up heading into this game on a Thursday night. This is one of the tragedies of Thursday night football because this game, if it was being played on Sunday, would be quite compelling, but I get the impression it's going to be a little bit of a romp for the defending AFC champion Bengals.
4: Uh, yes, and I just want to go back on your air quotes of the concussion. It's interesting that the NFL, you know said after the game, we're launching an investigation on their, you know, protocols on not taking him off the field because they probably should have. And I think other people are also putting those same air quotes. Listen, Joe Burrow is coming off of his best uh, game with uh, 275 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I grant you it was against the Jets. (laughs) fine totally that puts an asterisk beyond beside it for sure but still you can only play the team that's in front of you I think the uh Dolphins need to be mindful of Tyler Boyd um again if you're looking at Cincinnati Tyreek Hill who seems to be kind of in mid-season form uh with with the Dolphins we'll see what happens though because I agree they're coming off of a weird week where it's like Everybody kind of had their issues. So we'll see what kind of Dolphins team can can muster up. And I was going to ask you, Dave, but you answered my question. I was going to ask you, do you believe in the Dolphins? And I'm I do.
0: hearing... Oh, you do? Bro- okay. Bro- broadly, broadly speaking, I believe in the Dolphins. Tonight, it's going to be a real rough battle on the road on three days rest. I, I just think this one's really tough. But, Brock, I do believe there's a lot of pieces. It's a, it's, a, it's a testament to their general manager, Chris Greer, who just for years and years has been finding talent not in the first round in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. He's really done a nice job of filling in the roster with those guys. He's made some very smart free agent signings. Melvin Ingram on the defensive line has been an unsung hero thus far this year. They also brought in defensive end, well, they re-signed defensive end Emmanuel Agba, but that was a previous Chris Greer free agent signing. They have a linebacker, Andrew Van Ginkle, who I just adore Adore. I could watch him play football all day long. They drafted an incredible Canadian safety out of Oregon a couple of years ago, Javon Holland, who is quickly becoming one of the best free safeties in the game. The defense is actually somewhat underperformed this year. I think that that could be the thing that, that, that sort of shakes this the other way tonight, that even though I do believe the Bengals are going to have their way with the Dolphins, I think that if the Dolphins are going to put up a fight tonight, it's going to be that defense rallying to the cry. Brock, I'm also in love with our new coach, Mike McDaniel. He's such a nerd. He's such a weirdo, but he seems to be a really excellent coach. He's risen to the moment as a first-year, first-time NFL head coach because of the game management. He seems like he's really deeply in control and deeply understands the intellectual IQ behind what it is to manage a game of football. I am actually glowing and in love with my Miami Dolphins. I just think tonight's going to be a rough ride.
4: And you know something? As for um, McDaniel, I, I laughed at people who said after a week two, coach of the year, and then I watched him uh, play against my bills. And I, I agree. He, you need a calming presence to, to help Tua, I understand that there's an offensive coordinator. I get all that. But as a head coach, you need to be that calming tool for the, for the young guy who's at center and going to take you wherever he's going to take you because the Dolphins are going to go as Tua goes. And I know this is very cliche of me to say this, but it's the truth. If Tua can go and Tua can fe- feel like you know people have his back and the coaching staff have his back – this is a team that can go somewhere. And I'm gonna tell you, even though as a as a rooting fan, the Dolphins are in the same division as my rooting interest Buffalo Bills, they are becoming must-watch television. Mm-hmm. And they're becoming it in the sense of they're doing everything so right. And it's and I know Dolphins fans are out there going, Yeah, we're waiting for the train to fall off the track. <laughs> I get it, I'm a I'm a Leaf fan, but still it's it's it might not because McDaniel just seems to have everything under control. And I know it's a long season, but I agree with you. I love what I'm seeing and I love watching them every week.
0: Yeah, my last thought on this as well, Brock, about the love for their coach, Mike McDaniels. When they brought him in this year in the offseason, they had not fired their entire defensive staff. They'd fired their head coach, but not their defensive staff and gave him the choice whether or not he wanted to keep that defensive coaching staff from the old regime. And he did that. He, even as a first-year coach, had the maturity to say the defense worked fine last year. The defense is good. These are good coaches. These are good guys. I want them to be part of my staff. That speaks to a comfort and maturity in your own skin that a lot of football coaches don't have the ability to put aside that ego. It just speaks to a very mature person at the helm of that team right now, which is really, really great to see. But Brock, I'll Dave, give you... How, I'll, I'll, sorry, go ahead.
4: How, how many coaches has Pete Walker gone through? it's the same thing. Pete Walker is like the, the pitcher whisperer for the Blue Jays. He's gone through, you know, John Gibbons, Charlie Montoyo, uh, and, and on to now, you know, with John Snyder, if you are doing your job in professional sports, you don't deserve to lose your job as does some of the other coaches. And I think that's, that's the misnomer in sports. It's like Oh, a new coach, everybody sweeping changes. No, that's not entirely true. Do I think there's some struggles with the Blue Jays with, with pitching this year? <laughs> yes. But uh, again, do I put that all at the feet of, uh, of the pitching coach and Pete Walker? No, I don't yeah.
0: because he's earned his stripes. Continuity matters. Continuity matters in sports. And sometimes people disregard that because there's that feeling of newer is always better. Brock, I've got a little bit of breaking news for you, though. Your boy is actually not going to be watching this football game tonight. I'm going to a concert. I'm going to see Jimmy Eat World at History in the Beaches in Toronto because I'm going to try to relive my youth. Oh, love it! See,
4: but you can you, you can get highlights. You can get yeah. This is, this is all good. I'll watch this the I'll watch I... the,
0: I'll watch the game on my phone on DAZN. You know that's that's how, that's how we'll roll. I'll do a little music, okay. a little football, I'm a Renaissance man. Hey Brock, we got to uh, we got to scoot, man. I got to get out of here. But you have yourself a great day and a great weekend. No show tomorrow, so we'll talk to you on Monday. You as well, Dave. Enjoy. (laughs) That is Brock Richardson. He's the host of The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. Don't forget, you can also find that show via YouTube. Punch in the Neutral Zone. And AMI, AMI. And uh, you'll find that one on your old search bar on the YouTube. You can find Alex Smythe at the AMI Weather Desk.
5: National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, there's showers this morning that will turn to a mix of sun and clouds and a high of 14. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny and a high of 16. Over to St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny as well and the high is 18. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds becoming sunny this morning, but there was a frost advisory in effect and 14 is the high. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly sunny and a high of 15. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds. And there was also a frost and fog advisory in effect. So 16 is the high today. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny and a high of 26. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny and a high of 26 as well. In Lethbridge, Alberta it's mainly cloudy with the chance of showers, but 27 is the high. In Red Deer, Alberta, its clouds are rolling in this morning with possible showers late morning and afternoon, and the high is 18. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of showers and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour with 14 being the high. Over to Kelowna, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds and hazy but the high is 23. Finally, in Vancouver, B.C., it's mainly cloudy, but clearing up around noon, and 18 is the high. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Stephen Scott will recap last night's Amazon Hardware events, some new gear for you to try out. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There's always new technology. You can't go a single day with new gear to feast your eyes and ears upon. Well, Amazon had an event last night and showed off some new hardware. Stephen Scott of Double Tap is here to react to a couple of those releases. And Stephen, well, he's not here. He's in Glasgow,
8: Scotland, but he's here digitally. Hello, Stephen. I'm here in some form, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, in some way, shape, or form. We assume Stephen's a real person and not a hologram, but uh, we'll, we'll you think that, don't yeah. You we'll ver- that? we'll verify that one day. Yeah. We'll figure that out. Yeah. So there were all kinds of things that were presented last night. We're going to take a look at three of them. Why don't we start in the world of, I guess I'm going to call it an e-reader slash tablet, the Amazon Kindle Scribe. What's new about it?
8: Well, it's totally different. Uh, that's one thing. This is another of the many types of devices we're starting to see that are coming out. They're a little bit different. They're trying to take on this this market where people want to take notes on the move, but they're moving away from physical notepads, right? And instead of having a, a tablet, like an iPad with a pen or a Surface Pro with a pen, you can have something like this where you can just write on it. And it actually is like writing on real paper because it's it's an e-ink display, which means it looks like and it doesn't feel like, but it looks like paper that you're writing on. So actually quite a nice experience for a lot of people. Great for marking up documents, uh just taking notes on the move. You can send your Word documents to this and mark them up as you go. So yeah, quite a nice device. Quite a cool little design as well.
0: Is is it a special pen or can you use your finger? What's what's what are you actually using
8: to 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 do the markup on it? You do need to use the special pen, but I will tell you, this is, this is Amazon, right? So the pen is included. <laughs> you don't have to go and buy it separately, <laughs> unlike every other company that tends to want you to buy extras. Uh, no, you can use the pen that comes with it. The battery lasts for a long time. And one of the other benefits to this device versus something like an iPad or a Surface Pro is that the battery on these devices, on the Kindle Scribe and the pen, does last for weeks and weeks and wow. weeks, according wow. to Amazon, because... Think about it, it's a very simple display. So there's not a lot of power required in it. And it's not doing much more than just the handwriting and making the text available to read.
0: In general, how have you found the accessibility on, uh, on, these, Kindle, on these Kindle devices?
8: Well, it's an interesting story because there is accessibility built into all Kindles. But what you have to do first is you have to connect a pair of Bluetooth headphones to the Kindle device. So whether it's the Kindle, the Kindle Oasis or the new Kindle Scribe, you have to pair up a Bluetooth set of headphones. And at that point, you can enable all of the accessibility settings. So if you live alone and you buy one of these, you're going to need to find somebody to help you out with it because you can't do it yourself. Okay. That initial stage involves some kind of sighted help. Um, but it, the good news is that it does have a screen reader built in. It also does have large print capabilities up to 56 point oh, print. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's cool.
8: Mm. yeah there you go Dave you'd like
0: that I I do like that I do like that a lot okay Stephen I'm putting my hand into my pocket to grab my wallet what is this going to set me back
8: well I think you might be putting your pulling your hand out of your pocket very quickly with no money in it because it's $340 that's yeah that's like it's not
0: horrendous but it's also a lot
8: (laughs) it is a lot of money for what it is right because it's not a tablet that can do much else other than display text So you can read notes on it, you can read your documents, books, whatever, but that's, and obviously write notes as well now, but that's all you can do. And it's up against a product called Remarkable, which is very similar in its design and style. One key point to notice though, for those who uh, like using the turning buttons on a Kindle, those are the usually up and down buttons that allow you to move between different pages of text, those buttons don't exist on the Kindle Scribe, oh, so that go. might be something to be aware of. Moving, so that might be another accessibility issue. Yeah, moving to
0: this buttonless world. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I don't wear shirts with buttons anymore because we're moving to a buttonless. <laughs> <You're>
8: buttonless. buttonless.
0: <laughs> I'm a buttonless man. <laughs> that's I, my excuse. I've too. even gotten rid of my belly button. Or at least I can't see it because I'm too large and in charge. Stephen, let's uh, jump I over like that. to the world of security cameras. We have the Ring Security Camera with Spotlight Cam Pro and Cam Pro Plus. That just sounds like a lot of branding to me. Tell me about
8: them <laughs> it is a lot of branding, to be honest, because I, I can't really see much difference here between what it was previous version to new version. There are a couple of things. Uh, in particular, what they're focusing on here is the ability to connect these to their new Eero network, because really what Amazon are doing in the background here are building up a whole new network of, of networking capability uh, in the home, and these cameras can contribute to that, so you can essentially connect them up to your Eero device. And in all the data that it's gathering over the course of the day can be captured on that. Now these devices are very accessible. The ring devices in particular are very accessible, but it is important to note that Amazon have three different brands under their name that are all related to security cameras. So you have the Amazon video doorbell, which is not the ring doorbell and is not the blink doorbell, (laughs) Uh, but they all exist under the one brand, but they are all entirely separate with their own ecosystems, own apps. They do not interoperate. So you can't buy a, a ring camera and you know, a blink indoor camera and expect them all to work off the same network. That's important to note, but these are pretty cool devices. I mean, you know, the, the outside, the Cam uh, Pro is actually quite a nice device, quite small. And what's nice about it is it has built in lighting as well and siren capability. So if someone comes to your door or you okay. think there's someone fishing around you can make the lights come on, and you can make a very loud noise. I've terrified my mother by enabling <laughs> hers every so often just to check she's listening.
0: Just because you're, you're a good son like that. Keep I'm a it, good keep son like that. Host. It's all about
8: security. It, yeah. it
0: does it does make sense to me that these would now start to have some of those built-in lights or floodlights or automated lights because when we're talking about a security system, that's what people want. They want a multitude of things. not just. Yeah. They don't just want to show the crime happening on their doorstep. They actually want to be able to identify what's happening on their doorstep.
8: Also, it has to be Instagram ready as well. So, you know, all the content has to work on Instagram, uh, Facebook watch, you know, you've got to make sure it's available for the public so they can all watch it, right?
0: Stephen, as you mentioned, there are a lot of sort of layers to this and different brandings and price ranges. So is it even conceivable for me to ask you a question on what the price tags are looking like on
8: this? Yeah, I was trying to look this up for you to try and give you a good answer on this, because I think truthfully, what I would say is Blink is the cheaper end of the market, starting at around about $50. Whereas Ring starts around one hundred and fifty dollars, goes up way up to like three three hundred and fifty dollars, depending on the type of camera you want. There's lots in the range from the basic doorbell. They've now incl- uh, They've now got the uh, the one we were talking about, the Spotlight Cam Pro. There's the floodlight option as well, which is even bigger. And there's even a new intercom from Ring, which allows you if you have if you live in a flat and you have one of those in you know little telephone type intercoms, you can use Ring as an alternative to that as well. So it makes that smart. So even if you're outside. You can still answer your Mm. call to your house, so you know someone's been. So yeah, lots of things. But in terms of pricing, Blink starts around fifty, Ring starts around one hundred and fifty.
0: Okay, we almost buried the lead here because I bet you the item that people are most interested in is what's going on with the Echo line of devices. Mm. Which also, speaking of just so many devices across the spectrum, it's hard to keep track. But what did you? uh, What stood out to you in regards to the the discussion of new Amazon Echo devices?
8: Well, I will say this about the Amazon event this time around. I think they've decided to focus in on some products and focus in on updating those products rather than just giving us a whole, you know, I remember one event at uh, one year where 72 products were announced in 60 minutes. But they haven't done that this year, thank goodness. Uh, you know, they've decided to focus in and really improve the products they have. So we now have the Echo Dot fifth generation. This is the latest one, which will replace the Echo Dot fourth generation, And uh, the difference is really in terms of style, in terms of, uh, you know, design is exactly the same. It still has that, you know, spherical design, uh, which is exactly the same as it was before. Uh, However, it has twice the level of bass, um, much nicer sound apparently off it. It's all about the bass, about the bass, about the bass um and lots of money uh, but also uh, with the echo dot clock as well because the echo dot now has a clock in it there's a, an option there uh, you have a slightly larger uh, dot matrix display and as well as displaying the time it can read messages to you off that little screen it can just scroll them along Um, So, yeah, that's quite interesting. But there are some other products. I mean, we must mention the Amazon Echo Studio that is getting a bit of an upgrade, uh, at least in software terms, that all these updates will come to all the devices. Uh, The HomePod is uh, the HomePod. (laughs) I beg your pardon. Sorry, Amazon. uh... (laughs) Apple falling off the tree there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Amazon Echo Studio is, in fact, coming in uh, in white now as well as black. Uh, But that was really the only difference there. And uh, they've also brought in a new range of products under the Halo brand, the Halo Rise, which is a new smart lamp and clock. Um, which connects to your Echo device and apparently helps you get oh. to sleep at night and wake up in the morning.
0: Interesting, interesting. I, I have heard about some of that stuff. We're using uh, alarm clocks that offer light as opposed to sound. I don't yep. think that would be too helpful for you or me, Stephen, but I'm sure there are folks really. who would enjoy a more uh, organic way to wake up in the morning. I'll tell you, Stephen, yep. my uh, my uncle gave me an Echo show for, uh, for Christmas last year. I have not quite done the complete setup yet, but my living room is quite depressing in the way that I have it lit now. There's like one sad IKEA lamp in the corner and no overhead <laughs> lighting. I am I am just about to start the endeavor of updating the lighting using some of those smart lights through the uh, through the Echo in my in my house, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's like a, it's like a tech project, you know. I'm, I'm not like you, Stephen. I don't I don't I'm not always getting my hands and mitts on new things. So for me, this mm. is kind of a big deal.
8: It's a big plunge. Actually, that's, that's the best bit, right? I mean, it's, it's so good to get your hands on the new stuff. Start with bulbs. Uh, I would say just my hint would be get bulbs, not lamps. Okay. Uh, because what you tend to find is that the lamps very quickly, uh, you know, can come up with problems. Whereas bulbs, you can just very easily replace. They're much cheaper to replace. Mm. So, yeah, you know, that might be a good place to start. But yeah, I mean, and just mentioning Echo Show, Echo Show 15, the 15-inch Echo Show also got a big update. It is now getting Fire TV capability as well. Oh, now so we're talking! And basically treat it like a a TV screen.
0: Hey, you see, if you're going to give me a 15 inch screen, let me watch some content on it. That's how I'm feeling. That's well, how we it's roll taking a
8: year. Yeah, <laughs> taking a year for that to come around. So yeah, that's quite interesting.
0: Hey, Stephen, we really appreciate your insight on this one. I know this this news pretty much broke late yesterday. So thank you for a pivoting in real time for us. We always appreciate
8: it. Oh, listen, anytime we we live and breathe it, and that's why we're daily. That's just why like, look, you're. I was just about to say,
0: double tap daily. AMI-audio, weekdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern time. See that? A little bit of synergy with me and the Stephen Scott man. Hey, Stephen, have a great weekend, buddy. You too, Dave. Take care. That is Stephen Scott, one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily on AMI-audio at noon. Speaking of AMI-audio programming, today Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on The Pulse. Trudagupta Gupta will chat with Alison Gerlach from the University of Victoria. Together, they'll discuss a new study exploring the need for using an Indigenous lens on autism diagnoses and service delivery models. That's The Pulse, Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio, but you can also find the show on your favorite podcast platform or YouTube. Love that. Love that we're putting so much more stuff up there on YouTube. Much easier for you to get your eyes and ears on if you so desire. Coming up next, we catch up with abdel Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid and Ramia Emwethan to have a chat about what's going on in the world. Hey, good morning, Nizreen. Good morning, Dave. And hello, Ramya. Hello. How are you? I'm well. So let's talk about TV. We're on TV and we're going to talk about TV because we're meta like that. And let's look south of the border where the ratings are in for the first week of the new TV season in the U.S. Newsflash, guys. Half the top shows were broadcasts of football games. What, what? I am in touch with the world. The rest of the list were made up of these shows. The CBS series, FBI. Some of the NBC Chicago shows. CBS's NCIS. And NBC's Law and Order. I have not watched Law & Order in earnest in about 18 years. So I'm feeling a little out of touch with this list, minus the football. I'm I'm way on top of the football. Don't worry, guys. I'm covering that for you. But when I mention these four shows as being the four most popular shows in America, and I've not watched a single second of them, it makes me feel a little bit out of touch. So I'm coming to you guys to see if I actually am in touch or if we're all out of touch or if there's something deeper to understand here. So Nazreen. FBI, Chicago, NCIS, Law & Order, do you watch any of these shows?
9: I'm so out of touch with you, Dave, because I think the last time, last thing I watched was NCIS, but it was like the old version. Um, I've been wanting to get into Chicago Fire, Chicago Medic, and all the Chicago shows. Uh, However, I haven't just, I haven't had time or had the energy because I never finished the shows. I got into suits, never finished it. I got into all of these, you know, criminal shows, series yeah, that didn't, I never finished.
0: Didn't you and the family go through a criminal minds phase during the pandemic? Okay,
9: that was the only thing I finished because it was with the family. If I watched <laughs> a show alone, I would not finish it.
0: Okay. <laughs> it was a family it was a family activity. Okay, Ramiya, I know you're too busy consuming like seventy-two books a week to probably watch any TV, but those four series. FBI, Chicago, NCIS, Law & Order, are you watching any of these shows?
10: No, I'm not into this stuff at all. And the thing is, the only reason why we're we're in touch with it at all is because Greg David comes on Kelly and Company to talk about um, <laughs> why these shows are so popular and how they're you know the nostalgia plays a big factor in all these different um, spin offs of Chicago and uh, CSI and NCS, like all these different you yeah know, all these different spends. letters
0: all these these letters all these different all these, letters all these exactly. letter, all these letter the, shows the
10: police investigation that kind of thing medical drama. It's all um, pretty big. And as we're as we can tell, right, because they keep making all these um, versions of it. But I'm not into it at all myself. Like I've never been.
0: So we're all young. Like that's fair to say we are young people. Maybe these shows just aren't our target demographic. That's possible. But my theory would be that much like how we talked about the golden age of music last week, that perhaps there's just so much out there right now that even if these are the most popular shows that exist, it's still really difficult just to keep up and consume everything that's popular, right? Like, there's some people who like The Bachelor. I don't know. Do you guys watch The Bachelor? That also premiered this week. No. No, No, no. Bachelor. Yeah. Bachelor's <laughs> not like Bachelor's not flying. So, do you, is it is like, Ramya, is it possible that we just live in this time where there's so much? That it's almost pointless to try and keep up?
10: Well, this is 100% a yes for me in comparison to the music talk we had the other day, right? Because with TV, we're not only seeing what's uh, popping on actual cable, right? Like networks, Canadian and American, and what's uh, popular, but then there's what's popular on Netflix and Disney Plus, and then what, uh, what, any streaming service has acquired now that we can go back and watch because we missed it the first time around or it wasn't an audio description or whatever yeah and then yeah and then there's what the award shows are saying uh we should be watching right all the accolades and and reviews and all of this stuff so there's just too much to keep track of dave i don't even know half the genres let alone the shows out there anymore
0: Nazreen, what do you make of my theory that that Ramya agrees with that that maybe there's just so much out there that, that it's all part of this death of the monoculture? There is no singular culture that brings us together no matter how popular something is.
9: So for me, I like the criminal criminal TV shows in general. So that is my type of uh, genre that I like. But as you said, there's just too much content to consume. There's so much out there. And I feel like they're too long at this point. They do last a very long time and it just never ends. So that's why at the end of the day, I just never finish the shows. And yeah. I I feel like they're pretty much repetitive for all the TV shows. Um, but that's just
0: me. Did you ever finish The Walking Dead? I remember you also went through a Walking Dead phase during the pandemic.
9: I did not. I keep saying that I want to get back to it, but I'm <laughs> not. I'm in the same this boat. This is a sore you. spot. It's not indescribed. Sore
0: spot. <laughs> oh, like even even the even the Netflix even the Netflix yeah, editions of Walking Dead are not indescribed video. Let's pull together
10: oh. collective emails, please.
0: Okay. All right. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm game with that one. Niz- Thank you. N- Nizreen, you were right to abandon suits. It gets so bad by the end. It, it, and it's yeah. wild because the first season, it's funny. I just rewatched the first season on Netflix recently. The first season is impeccable television. It's smart. It's funny. The characters yeah. are great. And then just piece by piece, season by season, it all just falls apart. It just turns into shtick.
9: It becomes the same, it just gets worse, and uh, don't even get me started on
0: that. Like, Louis Litt was such a good villainous character, and then by the end, it's Mm -hmm. all just prunies and mud baths, and it's like, come on, this character's boring now.
9: (laughs) There's no spice.
0: Yeah, there's definitely no spice. And Meghan Markle, oh my gosh, in that first season, serious princess vibes. It's almost like she was going to go marry a prince down the road, you know? Mm. Funny, funny times, funny, funny (laughs) worlds. Nizreen, we thank you for this. You have yourself a nice weekend. Thank you, you too. Ramya, your weekend can't start just yet because you have a few more minutes with us as well as Kelly and company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. What's coming up on the show today?
10: All right. We have gardening with Susan Kearney and she's leading us up to Thanksgiving. Uh, There's a big role that the fire, the flower industry plays around Thanksgiving and she's going to tell us what exactly goes on there. And this Saturday, there's going to be a formal ceremony to initiate the first cadet week in Ontario. And we're going to learn more about this special week. Uh, Also, as we know, tomorrow, September 30th, 2022, marks the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and it honours the lost children survivors of residential schools, their families and community. So we're learning more about the day and the progress, hopefully the progress that we've made since the inaugural uh, day and that's with Brenda Gunn, who is the Academic and Research Director at the National Center for Truth and
0: Reconciliation. Yeah, we've had those conversations a couple times on the air earlier today as well with uh, Mike Omelis of APTN as there's going to be a broadcast at 1 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow on APTN that'll be simulcast on AMI-tv. But APTN has uh, 35 hours of coverage. It starts beginning mm-hmm. this evening uh, talking about the day for na- National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and the residential school experience. So there's going to be a lot of meaningful conversations conversations had over the course of the next day or so. So looking forward to that interview this afternoon on the show. Ramya, have a nice weekend, and we will talk to you on Monday.
10: Sounds good, You too.
0: That is Ramya. I'm within the co-host of Kelly and Company coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, five Ontario MPs went on a, quote, social assistance diet for two weeks. Andy Frank shared that with you a couple weeks ago when he filled in for me on this show. Karen McGee will give you an update on that story. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head down the 401 where Lake Ontario turns into the St. Lawrence River, which always impresses me. And then on the shores of the St. Lawrence, you'll find Karen McGee in Morrisburg, Ontario, an AMI content development specialist, letting you know what's going on in the central region of the country. Hey, good morning, Karen.
3: Good morning, Mr. Brown. How are you?
0: I'm well. Doesn't it blow you away too? You're on the train and it's Lake Ontario, and then all of a sudden it's St. Lawrence River, just like that. Boom. Lake turns into a river. I love it.
3: What's really wild is how they can control the water levels here. That always blows my mind. Like, it's really low right now, but they're going to bring it up for Thanksgiving weekend so everybody can get their boats out of the water.
0: Boats, boats, boats.
3: Boats, boats, boats. Don't do it.
0: Uh, Karen, a couple weeks ago when Andy Frank filled in for me on the show, and we're still grateful that he did that on a Monday morning, he took hold of the accessibility story roundup and discussed a story about five Ontario MPPs that went on a quote, social assistance diet for two weeks. So before you give me the update, Karen, what is the social assistance diet?
3: So you and I have discussed sort of things like this before. They seem a little, I don't want to say kitschy, but, um, it's basically they want to raise awareness of how challenging it can be for people who are food insecure to eat healthy. Um, people went for two weeks by eating only what they could buy for $95.21, that's for two weeks of food, or $47.60 per week, um, that's math. Um, so this is from the NDP party and they said that approximated two-week grocery budget for social assistance recipients. and. You and I have talked about these a bit in the past. Um, I think we kind of sometimes when we talk about them, like when Tim Horton says they're smile cookie things, they're great in theory, but do they have any really long lasting effect?
0: Yeah. The, one of the, the reasons why something like this, I think matters because it's very tangible that you're, you're saying here is what it, it's like to live on this restrictive amount of money on social assistance versus something like the public transit challenge where it's like, oh yeah, we we'll used public transit for 10 days and then like, continue to defund public transit services. I think there's something about this that's a little bit more tangible than, say, selling cookies for charity or selling muffins for charities or selling ice cream for charities versus saying, hey, we're trying to participate this and have some lived experience in an, em- in an empathetic way. So one of the MPPs that did this challenge was Thunder Bay Superior North MPP Lisa Vaugeois. What was their experience with the social assistance diet?
3: So she told the CBC she found it challenging, which is not surprising at all. I don't know if I could live on that amount for groceries in that time period. She had to do more meal planning, and often she would think she ate enough in the morning, but found that they were hungry before lunch, and it kind of affected the way she thinks. When you get hungry, the studies, kids in school, if you're hungry, you don't learn as well, you don't function as well. A lot of sandwiches and a lot of boiled eggs. These um, also ran out of money five days into the experiment and had to rely on what was in the pantry, Yeah, which yeah. is a luxury that many people on social assistance may not have. That's right. um, they may not have a stocked pantry. Um, it was it was a very eye-opening experience for her. And I agree with what you said earlier, that it's the getting this sort of stuff out to the public, that it's that learned experience they can take back to the caucus and talk about, People can't be living on this amount of money.
0: Yeah, there's people listening to the show on the podcast today or watching this on AMI-tv right now who would say, okay, $49 a week, that's $7 a day. You, you, no matter how much you scrimp and save and try to find value and look for sales, $7 a day is just not a sustainable amount of money.
3: No, $7 a day is a pound of butter right now. Like, yeah. A pound of butter is $7. It's grocery prices are insanely crazy. And I honestly, I don't know how people do it, especially people with families to support as well.
0: So as we talk about the meaningfulness of doing this challenge, it's worth noting, these are MPPs who are part of the opposition. And there is a government that has a majority in power right now. And we're four years away from the next election in Ontario. So I understand there's only so much they can do, but what are these MPPs promising to do moving forward to help people who may be struggling with food insecurity?
3: Well, they're doing on the expected calling on the province to W Ontario works and ODSP rates. Um, There's approximately 900,000 people in Ontario that receive social assistance. The current rates are essentially punishing people for having a disability or being out of work. Um, ODSP recipients receive about 1227 per month and Ontario works about 733 per month in total to cover all living expenses. So by the time you pay your bills, pay your rent, um, the 4760 for food that Lee's got was probably pretty generous. So the NDP is also hoping to spend the next few weeks gathering stories from people who use these services and passing those stories on to the government so that there's more of that shared live experience. Um, What I think will be valuable, I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently, like we've just said, rates of everything are going up. Enbridge Gas just announced they're raising their prices by 5%. Um, it's, this is going to be an expensive winter for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Karen, let's jump to a different story. This one's a little more positive. It falls into that human interest category. We've been talking about climate change and natural disasters all week on the show. And a few times I've reflected on the tornadoes that ripped through Ottawa in 2018 that had a impact on my life but not nearly as significant as a family in Dunrobin, Ontario. And multiple people in Dunrobin, Ontario had their family their homes destroyed by the tornadoes. And one family in particular, the Nicholsons, had to rebuild, and they found a unique way to give back to the community. So tell me about the story.
3: So Todd is a former Paralympian, um, and his wife, Emily, and his their children, their twins, Tate and Gwen, lost everything when the tornado gate through, came through. The photos of their house show how devastating the damage was. Um, They spent the next year basically with no place to live, spending time with friends, on couches, at cottages. It was 499 days before they could be somewhere they called home again. Um, It took that long to build their fully accessible house, Todd uses a wheelchair. Um, Emily told the Ottawa citizen for most people, building a new home can be pretty exciting. It wasn't for them. They loved their old house uh, and they were forced to rebuild um, because of this tornado that uh, did a lot of damage in the area. Um, the family helped building it. Everybody pitched in. Emily was doing everything from drywall to stonework. Um, something really special in the new home though, they got a lot of support from the community. I've met Todd and Emily. They are really special, Mm, great people. I adore them. I think you've met them. You've met them too. they're just wonderful. Um, so the people wanted to help them out. So people brought clothes, they brought food. So what they did in the, cause there's something called a gratitude wall. And it's a wall that is covered in tiny hearts. And each one has a name written on it. Emily kept track of everything everybody did for them. And the wall honors their helper. So each name that somebody helped them is written on it and placed beside others in a frame. And it's just basically a way they can see every day of all the people who help them out and how grateful they are.
0: They've gone beyond simply having the gratitude wall, though. They've published a book called Our Family is Grateful. Tell me about the book. And if somebody does want to get a copy, how can they do so?
3: So this is a pretty great idea. It's a children's book called Our Family. Like you said, Our Family is Grateful. It's based on her blog that she kept during the last four years. She's put the last entry, and it's a great blog if you want to read through it. The book is available in English and French. It's been gifted to communities, families, children's first responders. It's to be used as a tool to navigate challenging times. It's kind of a reminder that even... When you're in crisis, you've got a community around you. You aren't really alone. And the book is actually being used now to help families through sort of disasters. And it was a limited run. You can request your copy by emailing ourfamilyisgrateful at gmail.com. And most of the books were given out to thank people who helped them out during their rebuild.
0: Yeah, it's a really amazing way to uh, to give back to people who lent a helping hand. No doubt about that one. Karen, I've got to hold you to 40 seconds on this. But we've talked a lot about Starlink Satellite for Rural Communities in Canada in our tech segments over the years, but you're the first person who we know who's actually gotten it. And I know you might not want to do a free advertisement for them here on this show, but what's your experience been like in the last eight days hopping on actual high-speed internet?
3: I feel like I made a deal with the devil. Um, but um, I don't know, you tell me, am I better? Oh my you gosh, you sound great, you.
0: you look great.
3: I didn't realize how bad it was, but a lot of times when we were doing our hits, I couldn't hear you, and I was just guessing that you'd finished talking.
0: High-speed internet. What a remarkable time to be alive, Karen.
3: And, you know, I can watch shows. Jeff and I can both watch different shows streaming at the same time. (laughs) Mind blown.
0: You only live 45 minutes south of Ottawa. It stuns me that your internet was that bad. But uh, you know what? Before I get myself in trouble with a telco, let's uh, move on and say (laughs) have a nice weekend, Karen.
3: You too, my friend.
0: That is Karen McGee, a content development specialist for AMI. There's no show tomorrow, so we wrap up our broadcast week right now with me saying thank you to the people who helped put this show to air every single day. I want to say thank you to Eliza Rocco, who's over there in the audio control room, Daniel Penamondo and Bruce McClarion handling things on the video side. Got a new member of our team this week, Kingsley Juco. Welcome aboard. Grateful to have you. We've got producers who are putting together segments every single day like Marianne Dion jones Paul Daniel and of course the person Who directs this and makes This all come together in a somewhat Coherent way is our senior producer Andrika Delana role. I'm Dave Brown Reminding you to play safe play fair but don't Forget to have some fun